0: And welcome to our blood-curdlingly chilling second special episode in our spooktober Spectacular series. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow,
1: Ghostly Chris
0: And my adulthood friend, Minty Boo. Boo, I'm a Dracula. I'm only joking. It's me, Minty, from the podcast. <laughs> and this is a podcast all about the glory of video games. Every Saturday throughout the month of October leading up to Halloween, us three cents will be girding our collective loin and diving headfirst into some games that we have labelled in the past as two gosh darn spookers. <laughs> Last week we enjoyed, I guess, in a way, Slender, The Arrival, Blue Isle Studios' attempt at refining the interactive bendy arm of the Slenderman mythos. Whilst the game certainly delivered on the cheap scares and subsequent poopy pants, I don't think any of us were hugely impressed with the quality of the game. Enter week two, and a game that has been lauded as a masterpiece by many, as a defining game in the history of first person shooters by some, as too scratched by Blockbuster by Minty, (laughs) and as too scary by Chris and myself. It's 2K Games is seminal. Bioshock. So for those of you who aren't aware of Bioshock, it is a first-person dystopian action horror game. It's set in an alternate version of 1960 and takes place in the fictional underwater city called Rapture, a supposed utopian society founded by the megalomaniacal business magnate Andrew Ryan, who wanted to create an isolated place where science could advance without the inhibitions of pesky morals. (laughs) And this led to the discovery of Adam, a genetic material that can be used to grant superhuman powers. And whilst this started as a marvellous scientific breakthrough, continued to become a booming commercial enterprise, it is also what initiated the city's catastrophic decline. You play as Jack who ends up arriving in Rapture after his plane crashes in the ocean near the city and you fight through the remnants of Rapture and encounter hordes of various Adam-obsessed enemies which take the form of some very scary things (laughs) doing some very scary things. Unpleasant things. Now, the first time I played the game, I really wished that I had the nerve to dive into it, but back when it came out, which was 2007... I was a lot more of a sensitive soul than I am now in my hardened, grizzled, 30-something, father-to-be beard and bald guys. <laughs> I absolutely loved the aesthetic. I'd become a big fan of first-person games on the PC after really enjoying the Thief games and Half-Life and things like that. But... Bioshock was just too goddamn atmospheric and the lighting and the shadows and the sound were all just too scary for me to handle. Like, it it really is a a brilliantly designed game from that point of view. It it doesn't resort to cheap jump scares like Slender, but instead it really wallows in that sinister, unnerving atmosphere. And the way that it plays with shadows as well is verging on art. Like, I can't remember which game I said this about, but it's, it's great because it shows you what's up ahead. You can see their shadow looming large and hear them muttering madness under their fetid breath. And it's all the more scary because you you know what's coming and, and you know you'll have to confront it rather than just have a madman spring out of the darkness suddenly and attack you with a needle. But I must say, I'm very, very pleased that I've had the opportunity to play the game again. If you've listened to the podcast, you'll you'll know that I've wanted to do this for a while. But because first-person controls on a console are a stinky bit of bum, (laughs) I didn't get to play through the collection on Switch earlier this year. I think I'm about halfway through the game uh, at the moment, about five, six hours in, I think. And I must say, I'm having a great time. I I did worry a bit during the first hour of the game that it was going to be a bit too scary for me to play, even now. Because everything just moves very fast. And, and, and like I said, the audio work in the game is is excellent and, and chills you to your core and sets you on edge like right from the off. But once I got over that initial shiver up the spine and I had a better handle on, on how the flow of the game worked and how to use the various plasmids and, and weapons and ammo types and started to be more familiar with enemy movements and, and stuff, I just thought I'd have a really good time with it. Like one of the things that always scared me about the game was having to confront the big daddies and little sisters in the game. I'd seen them on the box art and they looked terrifying in in very different ways. And and I didn't want to come face to face with with either of them. And you get your first glimpse of them, like in that first hour of the game, on the other side of some glass and and, and you see what they're capable of. But after a couple of big daddy encounters, I found good strategies on how to beat them. And then deciding to to rescue the, the little sisters rather than harvesting them. It kind of took like the general threat out of them. So... Like, I've just felt okay going into those encounters now. I think the thing that struck me is that for a game that's 13 years old, it plays just as well as any modern first-person game I've played. In, in fact, it's better than most because it's significantly less restrictive and corridory than, like, the recent Call of Duty games and, and other such nonsense. But as a horror game it's exactly the right balance of what I want. It's using horror to enhance the atmosphere and, and, and confront themes in the story that you couldn't explore outside of the horror genre. Like in this game, it's looking at the, the dangers of genetic modification and, and playing God. And, and that, in my opinion, is the way to correctly use genre. Like if you're just using horror to, to add another layer to a game, purely to, just to make it scarier, then that's like, it's, it's, why are you doing that? Like that that doesn't serve a real purpose. Because like, unlike Slender, Bioshock doesn't exist purely to scare you. And, and also, unlike Slender, I won't have any problems sticking with the game to the end. <laughs> and uh, and then, then I imagine I'll, I'll dive into Bioshock 2 before revisiting Bioshock Infinite and the uh, Rapture DLC for that to, to fully round out my my Bioshock experience. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for my thoughts on, on that in the regular episodes in the coming weeks. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's like I said. I think it's got the the balance right for a horror game. It's 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 scary. It's atmospheric, but it's not overwhelming. How how did you guys get on with it,
2: Minty? I'm I'm probably going to disappoint you a little bit because I'm not actually finding it scary at all. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten a little bit further than I did when I got it from uh, Blockbuster that one time um, that we mm-hmm. that we, that we all love to talk about <laughs> the scratchy disc, Ooh, yeah, and. I don't think when I was playing it all those years ago, I don't think I got as far as uh, my first big daddy. Mm. So I've I've beaten a couple now and I had it built up in my head that they're these, I, I didn't know you could kill them. I thought they were just these big <laughs> things that sort of radiated uh, an aura of stealth section. You just had to hide from them and you, you just sort of like stick your, stick your hand up through the grate and like, you know, Pull away the little girl that's with them, so you could quietly, you know, kill her and take the atom <laughs> or whatever. Mm. But they just die. They just they're just bullet sponges. And mm. I think having plentiful ammo is something that's um, that, that's given me a real sort of sense of safety when I play it. Because, yes, uh, for th- for games like um, Silent Hill and I assume Resident Evil, ammo quite scarce. Yeah. yeah, so you really have to you really have to manage it well and for most of the game you do have to sort of you know get up close and personal and beat stuff with a 2 by 4 or your wrench or whatever <laughs> yeah that scarcity kind of forces you to confront these horrible things but i'm just having a I'm just having a nice time blasting away all these people um with the shotgun <laughs> before they get too close <laughs> yeah like you said aesthetically it's wonderful and all the elements are there like the the gloomy setting the, the that's Speaks of uh, former opulence um, the slow burn of the realisation that this place has become what it has because of the ugliness of of humanity and uh, the philosophical deficits of objectivism and all the rest of it. Mm. It's it's all there, but it's just, sorry, it's just not that scary for me.
0: That is absolutely fair enough. I, I totally understand what you mean about the ammo being a thing where for me, that's when games get scary is when I feel, yeah like, threatened. And yeah. F- you know, I feel under threat. And, and often that is because I haven't got any ammo. Like, those are the bits in, like, Resident Evil 4
2: that started to get bum-puckeringly yeah, tense. Yeah, it snabbles that. a bit because you're there, like, oh, like, bang, 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 like, shooting all the enemies. And then you start to get a little bit low. So, like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll go into this room and see if there's any ammo. Oh, there's not. And it's also a dead end. So now I'm here. Everyone's outside waiting for me, like, you know, tying their napkins behind their (laughs) necks and waiting for me to come out. And then he's just like, oh, running past. And it kind of, yeah, it just, it it never quite calms down from when you get to that point. But here, it's just like, (laughs) oh, here's a creepy little girl.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what difficulty settings there are in the game. Like I don't know whether or not there is a, a mode for that where it's actually where then ammo is a lot scarcer, enemies are a lot harder, you do have to use stealth mechanics a lot more, which I mean I, I would find a lot scarier, definitely, because I'd feel a lot more threatened. But like like you, I'm I'm just having a I'm just having a great time just blasting my way through these these fantastic set pieces and and hearing some of this brilliantly written dialogue. It's 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 excellent. How about you, Chris? Has it has it shit you up at all, or are you just having a good old nice time in rapture like us?
1: I I think I'm I'm quite similar to both of you in in different respects. That I'm playing the game on easy. Like when the when the the menu first popped up at the beginning, I thought I'm gonna just I'm just gonna go easy. I'm just gonna give myself a, a chance to kind of get into this, mm. and that's been really valuable to think that if if a game gives you that option. I have more chance of actually being able to play it and not shitting myself. Because <laughs> because like like Minty's just said, and like you are saying about kind of having relative security about ammo or knowing that you can take down enemies and everything, it really yeah. does change how you approach the game. Like when, when I first played Bioshock, I, I played the demo on Xbox Live on the 360. And that was only like the first 20 minutes or so of the game. And I really enjoyed it, and I, I bought the game when it came out a few months later. But because I was obsessed with playing games for achievements at the time, I looked at like the achievement list and thought, right, I'm going to put on the hardest difficulty. I'm going to try and do the whole game without using a single Vita chamber where you uh, respawn if you die, and all these different things to try and minimise the amount of times so I'd have to go through it. And that made it impossible to play. Like My nerves were absolutely shot because every single encounter mm. was enough to kind of make me jump because the enemies are whispering to themselves and, and leaping out the shadows and everything else. But also because I knew that one shot from them or, or one attack and I'm dead and I've lost all this progress. And and that was like the double whammy of not only finding the setting mm. quite, quite spooky as, as you've said, but also knowing that my progress was, was so like just on my fingertips. I could lose it any time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I never made any progress. I, I, I got like, at best, half an hour in and then stopped. But this time, for, for playing, I'm, I'm playing the PS4 version, the remaster. Oh, nice. Like I said, put it on easy. Most enemies go down in just a couple hits. If you're at range, it might be, you know, two or three. When alarms go off, they're more of kind of an annoyance rather than like a rush to disarm, like an onslaught of bots, because you've got the ammunition yeah. to deal with it. And, and like Minty said, even the big daddies go down with a couple grenade launcher shots or, or a few shotgun blasts or something. So yeah. the big kind of poster threat isn't that bad either. So as a positive, it's meant that I've been able to play the game. I've probably played three or so hours th- this week. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little way in. But I think also it's it's actually taken some of the value of the game away for me. Like playing, playing Bioshock, it's, it's a first-person shooter that's built in the lineage of like the immersive sim, so like Deus Ex or Thief or System Shock, all all these games that were, you know, entries in the genre that you you can encounter a puzzle and find that it has multiple solutions, essentially, and that you're supposed to be able to use your abilities and skill sets to kind of navigate them in a way that works for your character build. But when you're playing on easy, that's all just washed away. (laughs) That part of the game is just gone because no enemies have posed any threat yet for me to think like, well, I really need to think what plasmids and, and guns I'm using. Mm. And even when there's kind of like, oh, it's it's a locked door and I don't have the right plasmid to open it at the moment, it's not a big deal to go and find one of the little, uh, I don't know what they're called, the gene gene swappy things yeah, to yeah, just yeah. change to something else. Whereas I imagine if I was playing it on a higher difficulty when that whole threat of having to do these hallways again would be really tense and unpleasant. I'd, I'd have to soldier through and find an alternative. Yeah. Whereas at the moment it's just like, oh, well, you know, shotgun in the back, off we go, <laughs> and it, and it's not too big a problem. Yeah. So I'm I kind of I feel a little bit sad, like because like you've both said, I I love the setting in this game. I I think the the underwater sort of Art Deco utopia, mm. bi- well utopia come dystopia, yeah. is is really really well designed and and is visually distinct from basically everything that launched at that time and almost everything since. It, like I, I really like how it uses water all the time to sort of coat every scene in every room because it just gives the whole world a different flavor to kind of a regular first person shooter. That's on a battlefield or within the corridors of a base or something. And, and part of me is wondering like if it's worth at some point me saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to stop and just bump the difficulty up a little bit, even to just kind of like the medium setting, yeah, whatever it might be called, because it, it would give back some of that kind of potential for, for choice and agency that, you have in something like Deus Ex. Yeah. Because the the reason I enjoyed that so much when I played it years ago was because within five minutes, you have to make calls as to whether you're gonna hack a door open with your your rubbish starting skills or stealthily take down some guards to find a key to get in the same entrance or using explosives to kind of draw them out naturally and they unlock it from the inside and and I think a lot of that is in Bioshock, but I'm not seeing it because I have the ability to just run in guns blazing to every encounter <laughs> yeah and and i I sort of feel like i'm I'm doing my experience with the game a bit of a disservice for for playing it that way. We we've talked on like the regular podcast quite a few times about the importance of of accessibility and difficulty options mm. in games, and and I would never say take this stuff out. I think it's really important that it's there to let people experience the story and everything else. But I I think for me personally in this one, by putting it that low, I've I've made maybe the wrong call for me because I'm not enjoying the things that I think I should be in this game as yeah. much as I could be. You know the the stuff that it, it was originally lauded for. Yeah. So perhaps in the future I I will kind of like try and be a bit bit braver bump it up a notch or two and <laughs> and go again because now at least i i know kind of more of what the game world is like and it won't be a total kind of newness shock and i think that might be better to to have just a a little bit of extra threat as opposed to think like oh it made me jump when it popped out but it's dead now <laughs> there's there's never that big a deal yeah you know i i can i can beat anyone with a starting pistol and it's not a problem <laughs> yeah so yeah a very good game but one that i might want to approach in a different way if i'm if i'm to play it properly i think
0: it's trying to find that balance like you said between providing some some sort of challenge so that it's you know interesting to play but also not too much that you need several pairs of spare y fronts (laughs) so there we go that is our impression of bioshock not quite as scary as we thought it was going to be which uh, is something that will probably change next week because we're going to be
1: tackling oh. Amnesia
0: the Dark oh. Descent
1: I'm so unhappy
0: <laughs> I've, I've only played I think less than a minute of it because that was too much for me <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I am looking forward to it I think I've decided that even though I've got it on PS4 I'm going to buy it on Steam so I can play it with a mouse and keyboard which I think will make it a little bit more manageable, I think, at least for me. And uh, we'll see how we get on with that. So tune in next Saturday to hear how our impressions of that, if indeed we're still alive, in case we haven't (laughs) shit ourselves to death. Possible. You can reach out to us on our various social media channels. We're on YouTube. Search for Our Three Cents. We're on Instagram at O3CPodcast. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Our3Cents. Chat to us about any scary games that you've played, some of your, your favourite horror game experiences that you've had. Or you can reach out to us individually,
1: if you so choose. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. At Chaz underscore Hodges is my permanent place of residence.
0: It's me, Clement underscore Boo please do check out our Patreon page as well, patreon.com slash hour three cents. We've got loads of great perks there. So if you're enjoying what we're doing and you fancy getting a bit more out of us, then uh, head over there and, and, and think about pledging a few pennies. And we will see you next week for another Spooktober
1: Spectacular. Ooh, Ooh amnesia. Ah.
2: Hey, Lassie, what are you doing here? Timmy's in a well. SequelCast 2 and Friends is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time, like Harry Potter, Hellraiser, and The Hobbit. And sometimes the hosts talk about video games and TV as well. And now it's part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Oh, Lassie, we don't need to rescue Timmy. He likes the well well enough, I guess. Darth Vader is Luke's father. Lassie, I told you to lay off the Spoilers.